0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. It is the first day of summer. It feels like a crisp fall day out there but I'm happy to have uh, two friends with us here today. We have Robert Gerke, and I was going to say gym seat. When do we stop calling it gym seat? <laughs> it's your seat today. It's my seat. Robert is he here. Can he can Who?
2: pry it out of my cold, dead hands. Yeah, <laughs> take
1: that. So he is from <laughs> the Salt Lake Tribune. If you want to follow him, know what he's up to after this. Where do people find you?
2: Uh, you can find me at sltrib.com or on Twitter at Robert Gerke.
1: He's good stuff.
0: That's Gerke. Rhymes with turkey, turkey. or
2: jerky was going to spell it right now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and Greg is here just as usual. Thank you for being here for our 20th episode. I don't know if that makes us not newbies anymore, but 20 episodes yeah. under our belt, it's not too bad. Yeah. Lots of issues to talk about on this cool, weird first summer day. First, I want to tackle this. I know we've talked a lot about the abortion bills in the last few weeks across the country here in Utah. There were uh, protesters um, on the steps of the Capitol this week wanting to make sure that the state moves towards some of these heartbeat bills where it is abortion only when it is necessary for the mother. Robert, is this a good move? Is this a bad move? I mean, other states are doing it right now.
2: I think regardless where you come down on the issue of abortion, yeah. I don't think anybody likes abortion. Let's start there. But regardless where you come down on the issue, it's an unnecessary move because there are other states that are already pursuing this. It's already in the court system. It's going to get to the Supreme Court. And we don't need to be throwing money after that legal fight right now. You, we've, we've already had our own fight over the 18-week bill that we had last session. We have a legal fight over the Down syndrome bill. And so let's let those other fights play let them have those arguments and then we can act accordingly once we find a, a ruling from the courts
1: is there anything to be said for being in the right column of history if you're the one who believes that abortion is not a good idea it's not where our country should be people are doing this by choice more often than not is there a reason historically that you want to look back and spent the money and said we were on the right side
2: well i think we can say that we're on the right side if the state wants to be on the, support those other states in, in their Lawsuit in their litigation, the state can file a brief saying we support you in this in this lawsuit. But to to throw legislation behind it is completely unnecessary, and it's also very polarizing. I think it's damaging, and it doesn't accomplish anything. It's a statement bill. If we want to make the statement, there are easier and less uh, costly ways to do it. Frankly,
1: are you liking the statement, Greg, and what they're doing?
0: I think some of it's inevitable. Uh, I think human beings uh, there's actions and reactions. We've talked about this on past episodes, but. I think what you're seeing, by way of this legislation, is the reaction to other legislation—not yeah. just the, the the heartbeat bills or the and, you know the 18-week bills, of banning abortions, but bills that were going far beyond what we thought was traditional abortions. Those that would terminate—I uh, still struggle with how we were supposed to describe this—but when a when a, a fetus. When a, when a baby is now... The Virginia now,
1: bill, Yeah, the Virginia yeah. bill,
0: the infanticide. Well, I, I don't know that they would call it infanticide. But, yeah, I don't, I, it's, but what I'm saying is that once we've start, started arguing or saw as a country the argument about abortion getting further and further into the term of the pregnancy and that then if the child were to survive or the baby were to survive outside the mother's womb, there was still the opportunity to terminate it, yeah. I think that the, the people that were never comfortable with the practice at all There was a recoil. There's a human recoil to that. And so I don't think this is strategic as much as it is the, in, in politics or policy, you see a pendulum. But so and the, and so I think that's what you're seeing with these bills that are coming, even
2: here in Utah. But so much of it right now is driven by rhetoric, and uh, polarize, this polarizing rhetoric. And it doesn't need to be that way. We've seen over the years a decline in the abortion rates in the country, and I think that's a good thing. And I think there are things that we can do, practical things that we could all agree on, to sort of reduce, to further reduce the number sure. of abortions. And, and, and those are good and we can come together on those things. Now we have these like conflicting clashes of, of, of who can be most you know, go the furthest on one side or the other, and I don't think that's beneficial to anybody right now. I, I totally agree.
0: I, I think we that, need to stop What agreeing. is the reasonable? I know I, it's, I we're
2: going to ruin street cred here, but
0: <laughs> but in Virginia, whatever they're calling this now, whatever the kids are calling it nowadays, when the ba- when the child's yeah. outside the mother's womb and you can still terminate, whatever you want to define that baby as a baby or a fetus, whatever it is, um, what what are what is one to do when they see? those types of policies with a straight face being advocated for and, and in many cases and in some circles celebrated, I, you, there is there are solutions that shouldn't be so polarizing. But when you see that, mm-hmm. I just think it's a human uh, reaction. And it's, yeah. yeah. To, to, to and I really believe
1: that. this is probably going to be an issue that builds and builds and builds until we get up to the twenty twenty election. Because when you look at it, I think a lot of people in Utah voted not because they liked Donald Trump, but there's a lot of people in the end who look at their Supreme Court picks and voted maybe for him because they thought they'd get them. I believe Democrats are looking at people like RBG and others and thinking, okay, we could get a seat. We want to secure this debate. So don't you yeah. think this is going to be something that's going to be? red meat on both sides until we get to the election i
2: think that's absolutely what it is and i think that's partly a calculated move to try to polarize and and, and antagonize people and and get them out to the polls and and it's not frankly i think it's a hard decision for any woman to have to make you know whether to do it or not and, and I, I hate to see it politicized and polarized like this and, and turned into, you know, just red meat for campaigns.
1: All right. Speaking of polarizing things, teacher salaries are going up, probably not as high as teachers would like to see in the state of Utah. But Salt Lake City and the the teachers in the district are at an impasse right now. They have to bring in mediators. I don't actually remember in my lifetime, and maybe it's because I was too young, a time that we actually had teachers on strike, like what we see in other states. Uh, Greg, are the teachers being unreasonable or is this... Inevitable, I, think, I think we have to we have be
0: careful. I think that teachers are held in very, very high regard by the public at large. We love our teachers. We have more children per taxpayer than any other state. We yeah. have a we have a young state, so we we need our teachers. We love our teachers. We want this to be a, a career move, not a temporary profession. Uh, that someone takes for some time. We have a high turnover in the first three years of educators where we lose educators after three years. So we need that strong salary so that someone can make a career of this. The, the, what I worry about is because we haven't seen strikes, because we see some of the highest uh, salaries that have been offered uh, comparatively from the past, if we strike, we start to create those battle lines. We start to see the politicization, the politicization of and the, maybe the you know the, the debate about our teachers that I don't think is gonna make for the, a better classroom, a better learning environment, I, I would regret and I think it would be a mistake to strike. I think that these salaries, I know that we have been putting uh, record m- amounts of money into our public education system. We are seeing that we know we have a teacher shortage. We're seeing those salaries increase. I think that's appropriate, but if we get into that, what other states go through with the with the strikes and the the, the the interruption of the school year. I think there's an unintended consequence to that. And I, would, I don't think on the whole, it'll be good for the state.
2: Well, I, I think we, you're right. We put about a billion dollars in, into education in the last four years. And what we're seeing now is that trickling down to the teachers, which is where most of it ends up anyway. Yeah. Um, our teachers have been underpaid for too long. Our classroom sizes are way over, they're, they're stuffed full. These teachers, as you mentioned, there's high turnover. Uh, there was a study by uh, Envision Utah that said we have about a sixteen hundred teacher deficit. We have sixteen hundred more teachers leaving the field than wow. coming into it. And that's not sustainable and so we've got to find ways to retain these that's teachers true. and the way to retain these teachers is to pay them appropriately and especially when you have a, a good economy where they have other options available, higher paying options available, we've got to put the money there. And, and so, you know, there's, we're going to have to pay for it. Salt Lake School District's going to have to pay for it and if they're not willing to pay for it, I think the teachers need to preserve that as an option because <laughs> The, the, it's really the last tool that they've got you know and 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 if they're not going to be get compensated fairly then they need to, you know, walk, you know, voice, voice their opinion with their feet.
1: And as one district goes, likely the others. As we've seen, one district raise salaries, the next ones have. So if Salt Lake City wins this battle, it will likely be a battle won for most districts across the state, and but Salt- it will mean higher taxes.
2: Yeah, Salt Lake's fighting it because they've seen what happened in Canyons and, and, and Alpine and Murray, yeah. they're, drumming, they're all raising their, their, uh, their salaries proportionately. Let,
0: let, let me just point out this. This is not directly related to the salary itself, but it, it, it impacts salaries for teachers class size. Mm-hmm. If you, if we want that class size to be smaller than it is today,
1: We need to have uh, fewer teachers.
0: Babies. You have to have, well, that, <laughs> but good luck legislating well, that. Well, that goes back uh, to abortions.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <right? laughs> Maybe oh, it
0: yeah, does, but, um, but you'd, need, you'd need more classrooms, because you would yeah. take those students and you'd have to have more yeah. classrooms, which means you would need more teachers. If we are not paying teachers at a salary we think is acceptable, lowering the class size would multiply your ranks of teachers, They work against each other, and I think people need to know, if you raise the salaries of teachers, raising the salaries plus multiplying the ranks of having more teachers, that is a lot, lot harder to do than one or the other of creating smaller class sizes, multiplying the ranks and trying to keep that, that salary where it is, or understanding that we have inherently maybe having teacher's aides or having inherently larger class sizes compared to other states, but having a teacher's aid but having a stronger and more robust salary. Yeah. And it's interesting when you ask teachers, when I was a representative, which would you rather have? A lot of people come on the side of smaller classrooms than necessarily yeah. the, the salary. So sometimes I think we get myopic about salaries only, but there's some – It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a complex issue.
1: All right. We're going to be keeping an eye on it. Another complex issue. We've got a gubernatorial race, which seems like an eternity away to me, but a it's what? in the headlines. Gubernatorial. Whoever huh. came up with that word yeah, for it's, governor, it's I don't even know. One. I've got a – look at their history on that. Okay, so Spencer Cox's big, big headline this week, $250,000 raised in four weeks. He's been in the race that long. Uh, last night I checked, it was 266000 He said that it was 100, uh, not 100,000. Whoa, that'd be crazy. 1,000 different donors. Can you feel Friday in my brain? Is this a real life grassroots effort, Robert? Is this something we've never seen in the governor's race before?
2: Well, it's a, it's a lot of donors. I don't know. If you look through his, if you look through his report, there's a lot of those that are uh, repeat donors. So there's and, maybe a little spin. So there's a little bit of you know double counting. I think I think about a third of those thousand donors are being double counted. But that's still a lot. Six hundred sixty-six, six hundred fifty, whatever. Uh, that's still a lot. And and for a candidate to get that sort of um, enthusiasm, I guess this far out from the election, I think is is an encouraging sign for him. Uh, and you know, it's a good start for fundraising. It's obviously going to need. A, he's going to need a lot more, and he's going to need to continue that. But the advantage he has right now is he's the only one in the field.
1: So two hundred. Yeah, Greg. He's it. Greg that's is still it. leaning, but he certainly hasn't announced and isn't ready. But uh Spencer Cox 250,000. Is that make you sweat <laughs> at all? Uh it's a lot of money, but we should also note when uh people started looking through the lines here, not all 250,000 came from donors. Part of it was kind or, of a hand
0: I I think there was a a, a a narrative of 4 weeks where a lot of record-breaking things had occurred. Some yeah. of that's a transfer of from a pack, which is perfectly legal and appropriate. Uh you have a, a Lieutenant Governor had a pack. And he shifted some money, I think, a hundred thousand to that, to that total that they counted. So that wouldn't be uh, donations that just started four weeks ago and was counted four weeks later. There was some shifting of those accounts. All that I look, I think there's enough to brag about in the reality of how that money was raised. Uh, but I don't know that the narrative or the announcement uh, reflected that. I thought it was. It, it sounded like everything was raised in four weeks mm-hmm. in a record-breaking way, and that there were a thousand individual donors, which. You know, I haven't even read the press release to know if it was misunderstood or if it was said that way. But I do think that there's enough there to be pretty proud of in terms of the fundraising uh, that 650 or how you shifted money, all that uh, looks good for him.
1: Yeah, if you get Ma and pa across the state of Utah a year and a half out from an election to give you $25, $50, definitely a big deal. And while the headlines have belonged to Spencer Cox, quietly in the background, Jeff Burningham. He is a Utah County businessman. He has $570,000 in the bag. That was my check last night at 10 o'clock. That is a lot of money. Uh, Are people talking about him? Why are they not talking about him?
0: This is the dark horse in the race. I'm going to tell you that the the most successful formula for winning a race for governor across this country is to be a self-funded businessman or woman, um, to not have any record, and... uh, and to, and to be able to say or craft a narrative that you can't really compare or contrast to anything by way of record because you're the new person in the race and well-funded at the same time. And so that, that has been a very successful formula. When you look at $570,000 raised, that is a, a very impressive amount, especially when you consider that only 100,000 of that is Jeff Burningham's own money. Yeah. So when yeah. you can self-fund, that actually draws uh, donors as well. And so look, if you can get great media buys and you can be a very well-funded candidate and you're a successful business person I don't don't overlook that that is that is a that
2: is a race or that
0: is a candidate to keep your eye
2: on it's hard to register on the radar without having some name recognition you've got to have the money to build the name recognition but often you can't raise the money unless you have name recognition sure. so it becomes this cycle he's done a good job of getting that money early which is going to really help him get his message out there and I think makes him a, a viable candidate uh, where Otherwise, he might not be.
1: So he is fully staffed, as I understand it. You've talked to some of the people who are working for him. When you look at his Twitter account, he says he's leaning, much like what you'd hear from (laughs) Greg Hughes about running. But he's obviously raised a lot of money. He's He's got a a campaign staff. He's got uh... twitter and facebook accounts that say yeah. that you know he's running why is he not announcing why is he not trying to make a splash like spencer cox is i
2: think because when you make your announcement you get one one shot at that you get one shot at controlling that news cycle yeah and so you wait until you can make a splash and so i think he's gonna probably wait until late summer early fall and and try to you know get a big uh, a, a big splash in the media
1: the interesting thing the two men who are really in the race right now they both have the same hairdo <laughs>
2: That's so, right. I don't
1: know. Maybe it's a thing. So, Greg, if you want to get in, you mm-hmm. got to shave your head.
0: Yeah, I guess i got to go.
1: Jeff head. My, my forehead's yeah.
0: growing. It's, it's been growing. Okay, it's so there going, you go. So yeah, you're, power you're alleys in the right, right here.
1: Huh? All right, well, we're talking about local politics. It's getting crazy in Salt Lake City, and <laughs> some of it has to do with the mayoral race. Some of it doesn't <laughs> because this. Biskupski's not I even love running. It. But I saw a tweet, because you had retweeted it this yeah. week, and I was like, is this really Mayor Biskupski's account? It, it was real. It was real. Yeah. Describe to us what you saw. What? I was like, and and for the
2: viewing audience, if you could maybe show what
0: that what that tweet Yeah, yeah was <laughs> I think
2: doing. I think the tweet was pretty simple. It says something. It was just like current mood, and it was I believe Nicki Minaj going giving us one of these. Yeah,
1: yeah. just like I bring that. Bring it on, just yeah, like that. Yeah, and Nicki Minaj looks I a lot meaner do, than I Robert do does. <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> I can't do I, I it. think, I think can't you can't do it justice, but you can find it online. It, it, what it was is a reaction to this back and forth that she had had with the city council during the previous forty eight hours, in particular uh, councilwoman Mendenhall uh, where the where the mayor just really went after them saying they were they sold out the city on inland port and they haven't been willing to support her in this lawsuit she's filed to try to to try to overturn the inland port. Um, you know the councilwoman Mendenhall fired back calling her a failed mayor uh... councilman council chair luke he said that you know this is we had to step into the void because the mayor was basically abdicated a responsibility, and so we were trying to do the best we could for the city. This is uh, this is pretty heated, and and the undercurrent of it all is that the mayor seems to be supporting Senator Escamilla. I almost called her Senator Robles. But we're going to flashback, <laughs> but the, the mayor seems to be supporting Luz Escamilla in this race, um, and and you know saying that she's the only one who's actually been there to have her back. Uh, it, it really is going to be an interesting dynamic throughout this, and like you said, the mayor's not in the race but she's definitely a factor in the race because there's a lot of people who are positioning themselves running against her legacy and then you have Senator Escamilla who's got her support Uh, I don't know how much that helps Mm. her because the uh, Mayor Peskupski has a lot of high negatives I guess you could say um, but it's it's a fascinating dynamic, and and you know everybody loves a good street fight.
1: That's right, and I was honestly a little shocked to see that because as much as I shouldn't be shocked by what you see on Twitter from political yeah. leaders, President Trump, we're talking about you. There's not much that shocks me, <laughs> but when I saw that this week, I was like, whoa! Has President Trump opened us up into this whole new world where <laughs> politicians are street fighting on Twitter? Is this a thing, Greg? Yeah,
0: you know what? It's 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 it's. It's candor, it's um, being a little more flippant than I think we're, we're, we're used to seeing from leaders. I, I'll tell you this I don't know if it's a trend, um, but I will tell you that I think the mayor would have been well served to not instigate a, a fight or an argument. I think that uh, she's not on the right side of that. The the Salt Lake City it's 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 interesting to me to watch especially on the inland port which by way of full disclosure and if people don't know had a little bit to do with that when I was a lawmaker oh, heard. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit <laughs> right you mean, the, you mean the Greg Hughes at yeah. the inland port well <laughs> you know Robert that's not what it's called okay that right. uh, that's but what we call it I feel like you know I was at the front seat of the little revolution that happened there and I saw what happened but the, during the time that the inland port was being discussed it was never a question of if. The position that Salt Lake City and its mayor had was we embrace and we want to have an inland port to the degree that they signed in their public documents of development agreements to see an inland port that included natural resources of coal and oil and everything that would be in that area, signed agreements. The big rub in the in the public policy debate was is that a state role Uh, Or could the state handle or manage the development of that for a U.S. Customs bonded port? Or would the city of Salt Lake as a city be best to manage that or make that happen? It was never a question of if. It was just who who would do it. But if you fast forward to now, what you find is that you hear that that this mayor seems to be 100% opposed to an inland port. That, is, that, would, that would contradict the signed documents that she has with the landowners in that area, with the statements made on the public record about their commitment to the development of an inland port, and the, what, the, what the board has done, because they are now, Salt Lake City's part of the board, it goes through the city's planning department, but you have a, a broader board now uh, made up of stakeholders on the inland port board. They've looked at a hub-and-spoke model where the natural resources would stay in the U.N.A. Basin as a satellite U.S. Customs Port, so they wouldn't come up here. They've actually looked at ways of spreading to smart places in Weber or Tooele or U.N.A. Basin, other satellite ports that would actually lower the impact or land use in that area. What I just shared with you is not part of the narrative that you're hearing. The, the mayor is going after a city council who has wisely looked at, I would argue, and I don't want to ruin it for him because it's me. You know, If I like it, everyone in Salt Lake City is going to hate it. They have engaged, and, and they engaged because we were not seeing that happening with the, with the mayor's office. And much of the good, I think, that if we could get down to the to the to the merit, you would see things that the that the mayor agreed to for an inland port development early on that will not happen in that area now. That I think people would say is is more environmentally responsible, and I think a, a better product. Why she would pick that fight, I, I don't understand.
1: I'm assuming this is going to be a big part of your mayoral debate when you do it August 8th. That's Absolutely. coming up. Absolutely. Thank
2: you for the plug. Yeah, August 8th, we're going to be hosting a mayoral debate. And and I think what you're seeing is all of those candidates are competing to see who can be the most opposed to the Inland Port, <laughs> which is which is a fascinating dynamic, and I think will be fun to watch for the next uh, month and a half leading up to the primary. It will
1: be interesting, because sometimes I wonder how much the average, everyday citizen understands the Inland Port, what it does, how it works, yeah. and whose rights over it, because it's 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 one hardest. of those, it's, I think, inside baseball-ish a little bit, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays with the everyday voter. Well, there
2: is a good narrative to be said, with due respect to Greg, that, they, <laughs> that the state came in and took a third of the city and put it under the authority of an appointed, unelected, unaccountable board. With the, and the voters and citizens of Salt Lake City have very little say in how that land's developed. Ooh. I have, a ret- I have a retort to that. <laughs> I really do. Do you need
1: a few minutes to, to think about not, it? No, I don't.
0: <laughs> that area, uh, absent the the prison relocation and the three hundred mm-hmm. million that the state put for water and sewer and nobody's been hanging out there much, right? Okay, there that area was Mars, never to be developed ever, unless the state had put the resources in of those of the infrastructure of utilities to make that land even developable. So you can argue, and I would, uh, <laughs> that 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 area was not. On the cusp of development and land use authority and benefit to a city, absent the state's Herculean and very expensive effort to uh, to cite the the prison in that same quadrant, and so yeah, you can look at an area that you've opened up and say, with all the with all the transportation assets that you have in that area, is that a, is that an appropriate place for a U.S. Customs inland port? You have them on the east east of the Mississippi. You have them in uh, Louisville. You have them in, in the Kansas City. We don't have any in the west. Our, our transportation infrastructure, Utah is uniquely positioned to be the lone, inla- at least viable inland port west of Mississippi. And if you look at the, you know, the, the global supply chain is the future of our economy, in my in my opinion, it, it, it really does create jobs and opportunities. And we have this, we've talked about our schools, we have an emerging workforce. Where are they going to work? Manufacturing and good jobs are around these ports, whether they're coastal or inland. This is a very good thing for the state of Utah, but it has not been ignored and needs to be part of the the dialogue that it has to be environmentally responsible. It has to be a net benefit or you can't do it. And I don't think those are issues that are being ignored. This wasn't a land grab as much as land was made viable that absent the state's effort would not have been and we can do some very, very smart things with that.
1: Let's hope so, because it, whatever happens, I feel like whatever beachfront property I wanted to have at the Great Salt Lake <laughs> is greatly diminished by this project. No. <laughs> Although I have this weird thing that I really like to look at. I love the look of stacked up shipping containers. So if it ever happens and it goes through, I'll yeah, look at it. That's There's something about the colors of it and the neat, organized patterns. <laughs> I like it. It's a little weird. I know. Yeah,
0: something I- to Let think it, about. Was that an Iron Man movie or an Avengers movie where there's the a big movie fight was at where, <laughs> where all the con- they were at all the containers? That's, that's what I think. Of they're yeah, usually
1: so. like red and turquoise. It looks nice. Anyhow, Deep pretty Thoughts colors. by Heidi, yeah. pretty yeah. colors. Almost like you're at the ocean, but not. Okay, so there's a new pilot project that's going to get started here in Utah in the fall. What they're going to be doing is looking for volunteers. I don't know who's going to volunteer for this, but they want people who drive electric cars to volunteer to have a GPS tracker in them so they can be charged per mile they're driving on the road. This would be in place of the gas tax because if we're moving towards these different vehicles we're going to be getting to a point where maybe eventually we're all starting to drive these cars and then who's going to be taking care of our roads. Should the people who are driving electric vehicles get a free pass because they're cleaning up our air or is this a good idea and they need to be charged for driving on the roads?
0: I think for a significant amount of time that has been the case that they have not had to pay the gas tax and that has been that gas tax has been what we have relied on to create the funding to improve and repair roads as well as capital uh, expansion or capital development of new roads and new lanes. Um, I think anyone using the roads, um, we, we, you know, our systems and our systems of taxing lower the rate, broaden the base. It has to include those that use it. I think that's just intuitive. I think that if you've been in a, a, an electric vehicle or a hybrid, you've not been paying a commensurate amount as someone who just uses gasoline. Um, so you need to have a system that, that Addresses that. I think that the registration fee as it is now being higher for the electric vehicles that do not pay a gas tax is appropriate. I think the pilot is a smart idea. It's an option saying, look, instead of a registration fee, my vehicle miles traveled. I think that we're going to go to this ultimately anyway. I think the vehicle miles traveled. I think is a, a more equitable Maybe way for everybody. to pay for the the cost of a public you know, transportation infrastructure, and so I think that having that pilot is smart. I think it's it's a good way to do it. I believe it's optional, so it's not being yeah. foisted on anyone. Let's see how are, it works.
1: Are people going to sign up for it though? Who is like put a GPS tracker in my car and see I where know. I go?
2: I, I dri- full disclosure, I drive a hybrid. I might sign Ooh, up for it. I could kind of pay you for one. Yeah, well, you'll pay less, I'll bet, if you don't use your car. I'm a whole very, lot. I'm very edgy that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, it, I think I think it has some merit in exploring it. But I think you know, there's if if I drive my little hybrid and get charged the same amount per mile as somebody who drives, you know, Greg driving his Hummer or whatever. Yeah, which is probably you know, I don't know a Hummer. His squirrel stomp and <laughs> Hummer. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's who's who's it you know who's yes, coming plus. out ahead. I think the I think we need to ask ourselves from the policy standpoint: what are we trying to incentivize here? Do we want people driving cleaner cars, yeah. more efficient cars, or do we want people to have to pay by the mile? And if you're paying by the mile, you're 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 losing the benefit of having a fuel-efficient vehicle. Um, so I think I think you know maybe you're encouraging encouraging them to drive it less but you're losing the uh, the benefit of the fuel efficiency. So I think, you know, there, there are some things that need to be considered if we go down this road. Uh, there's questions about what happens with the, pe- the people that are driving across the state. You know, if you implement this statewide and somebody's driving across country yeah. and they buy gas in Utah, how are we gonna capture their, you know, their component of the gas tax. So there are things to work out, but I think it's certainly worth worth exploring. And and Greg's right. Cars are going to be more efficient. They're going to be paying less in gas tax. You've got to have some revenue from somewhere to fix the roads, to yep. repair the roads. It just needs to be reflective of what we're trying to encourage and discourage as uh, from a policy standpoint.
1: Is there going to be an issue with the GPS tracking point, or are we at the point where we don't care because everyone knows where we're at all day long anyways? Know,
0: so much by way of public policy. I, I spent 16 years in our state legislature, and what the world looked like in 2002 when I ran versus yeah. what it looks like in 2019, it, it is so much different. And sometimes public policy, um, there's a timing element to it. An example would be, I remember the first time someone described congestion pricing or charging you for the time of day. If you're going to use your car, you're going to use a road at the height of rush hour, it would cost you more to be on that road than if you used it at a time where there wasn't as much traffic. Um, or even keeping track of our miles. It felt so draconian, so big brother. But when you get to today's day and age, we talked about, we've signed away all that privacy. Our our phones know more about us than we know about ourselves. They know where we're going to be after we're done here. How many minutes it's going to take us to get to our next destination, which we don't, I don't know. So much of that information now is free-flowing, and if government wanted to know more about us, they could probably purchase it from all the people we've willingly given the permission to. Yeah. I think that the the congestion pricing and cars that do not use gasoline, I think that's a timing issue too. What's that tipping point where you can't have that many cars that just are not contributing in yeah. uh, versus the incentive of driving clean vehicles? That's a timing issue. and yeah. so.
2: We'll find out. And on the privacy issue in particular, Oregon's already kind of gone down this road. They had to deal with some of the privacy issues. Some people were uh, trying to take out their their units and leave them at home and drive around so they didn't have to pay. There are oh things. There are issues that we're going to have to deal with. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here, so to yeah. speak. But uh, I I think it's worth worth exploring. I don't even mind the exploring the idea of toll roads, especially when you have yeah. these these high tra- highly traffic roads coming into coming into Salt Lake. Salt Lake's population doubles and during the daytime. Um, how do how do they capture the revenue to fix those roads to, for people who aren't paying you know the sales tax in the city? These are these are legitimate issues, and we ha- we're going to have to reevaluate re- how we.
1: Yeah. How the we, HOV
0: lane's doing that right now. Um, if you're yeah. at the height of rush hour, it's two dollars now yeah. in different sections of I-15. That I have the I have the yeah. little yeah. transponder on my windshield and that you pay I pay. The money. And if it's a time of day where there's not a lot of traffic, that price goes way way down. Yeah. And so there, and it's I think it's a very popular. Uh, system. I think I there's a lot of people signing up. don't want to let you
1: make you feel bad, but I drive into HOV every night by myself, and it's free, because it's like the only lane open at 11 o'clock. You've got <laughs> <Scott>, everything <laughs> closed. So like, yeah. It's like a parking lot. You don't like it, but anyhow, you get to be there, and I don't actually mind the idea of toll roads either. I've lived in Florida where they had them, and while you didn't like paying the tolls when you get close to the airport or the parks, sometimes, depending on where they're put, it, it can make money and pay for things when you need it and when I didn't want to take toll roads I'd take the busy roads without them and then when I was like you know what I need to get fast I would take the toll roads well so-
2: especially for cars with single drivers I yeah. think you encourage you give people an incentive to get out of the single driver car carpool, yeah. HOV lanes things like that and and You know, we have these air quality issues, and I think that's an overriding. It's not just for traffic congestion. We have these air quality issues that have got to be addressed, too. Tailpipes are the biggest contributor to the dirty air, too.
1: Absolutely. All right, we're going to talk national issues for just a second. This has been big online. If you've been uh, on Twitter, Facebook, social media, uh, we're talking about the U.S. border right now, and AOC uh, is saying that...
2: AOC. are we to that say the acronym now we That's don't even we have to say it. her name Ocasio- we all know who Ocasio are talking about alexandria
1: ocasio-cortez with the great I, red lipstick and i
0: knew it already but i just hate that we're down to the acronym
1: i know it's such a big name though okay so she she has created a narrative online right now which a lot of people are loving a lot of people are hating she's saying that where we're keeping people on the border in these tent cities are concentration camps not detention centers It's definitely something that's food for thought when you think about the people who are on the border. Is it okay to be calling these concentration camps? Are they concentration camps? Are we heading down a gray area?
2: Let's start here. As Greg mentioned, she's a freshman member of Congress. And the only reason that this has turned into this like outrage online yeah. is because she is who she is she's she's been turned into the whipping boy or whipping girl for the, the republican right yeah and they're going to blow everything she she's says a out victim, of proportion
0: Robert, i don't is know if this
1: saying? is blowing out of proportion she's owned this so, and owned it again and so again.
2: so let's let's be clear i mean there's a difference between concentration camps and death death camps, right? And so let's let's distinguish between the two. When we're taking a group of people and putting them into in barbed wire enclosures, like we did in Topaz, like we did in Cody, Wyoming, with the Japanese internment camps, those can rightly be called concentration camps. I think. Now, was it overstated? Was it hyperbole? Yes, it probably was. Is it the you know is it this big affront? I don't think it is because you know it's 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 a valid point that she's making that we are. Hurting people into into captivity, um, based on nothing except basically their their uh, their ethnicity.
1: Is it by choice that they're going there? I feel like at this point, there are people who are coming across the border knowing that that's where Recognizing they'll be,
2: that that's, where, that that's where
1: they'll be. So the question is, is it different because they're willing to go there for the chance to come to the United States? And also, if we weren't putting them there, and they have been for presidents, uh, there's a lot more than yeah. used to be, but this happened yeah. under President Obama and presidents before. It's just a lot more right now. Where would we put them? When you have all these people coming to your country, you can't hand them a key to a new house and a car <laughs> and an awesome job when they come in. So where? Where would these people go? Are they at least getting cared for they're, they're, in some they're way? Getting
2: some they're getting cared for in some way. Yes, I think that's I think that's fair to say. Uh, there have been a documented deaths, especially even among yeah. children in these camps, um, and and you know the conditions are not good. But you know it's probably not Guantanamo either. So maybe they should consider themselves lucky in that regard. Again, I think it's an overblown issue, but I think the issue of how we treat people who are trying to come to this country and seek asylum is is a question that we need to answer.
1: Yeah, and it's a lot of they're tough questions because it's a lot of people and it's like what do you do with them? I don't think any one of us would want to go live in these tent cities right now. Yeah. Is there anything in you that says she's right this no. is a concentration <laughs> there's not, camp?
0: There's no, not any for, part no. of me, Heidi, that says that she is right. I I don't think that she's a victim of Republicans that want to go after a freshman lawmaker, I think she says incredibly inflammatory things. I think she says things that draws a lot of attention and then a lot of retort or criticism with it. Um, I I would not, I don't know that the public, the general public, would draw a distinction between death camps and concentration camps. Or if you heard Nazi concentration camp, I don't. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Robert, about Topaz and, and, and the internment camps when, you know, of our Japanese-Americans during World War II, which, which is a, 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 not a, anything that we should be proud of and that, we, and that we, we aren't proud of. But when you say concentration camps, I think at least what comes to my mind and what I worry about is you know, those Nazi tr- concentration camps and those that would identify with the Jewish faith this was evil. This was this was something that is so beyond the pale that we got to be very very careful what we would compare that to. I, I don't very want to sure. I don't want to minimize. I don't want to take that as an easy comparison to anything else because what happened there. I don't even like saying it out loud, yeah. describing the, yeah. the horrific things that happened because they were that bad. And I. I hope nothing in this world ever gets close to what happened there. And I want to be really sensitive about these, the, what those concentration camps are where and, the, and the crimes and the, and the horror that occurred. Comparing what's happening to the border, I think that is a lazy comparison. I think it draws uh, attention or controversy. Um, look, it's not the same. And we heard for a while it was a fabricated crisis. There was a lot of people... Uh, in the Democrat Party that said there is no crisis. This is something the president's saying to inflame the public. There isn't yeah. a crisis here. You had you had uh, the Border Patrol trying to say, we've got challenges, we've got overcrowding, we've got problems. There was a very strong voice countering that saying, there are no problems yeah. here. You're just trying to make hay, political hay. We know there are challenges now. And to Robert's point, we have got to be able to treat people in a humane way. But let's be sensitive to the people that would abuse a system or overcrowd it, or try to flood a system that's not prepared for the volume of people that are trying to come through and, and to try and take advantage of the lack of resources or infrastructure to take that on. It has to be solved. But we got to get out of these extreme you know descriptions and and, you know, nobody's trying. I don't think anyone within that administ- a Trump administration is trying to ha- purposely harm people. I don't think that everyone thinks it's, you know,
2: club and it's, 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 It a is beautiful a beautiful thing. So. Well, let me just say I, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm defending her. I, I, you did, I, I did completely. Her, you just did. You her, just it was overstated, and it was a bad comparison, and yeah. it was probably hyperbole yeah. for the you know to, to make a point. But uh, I also think that it's being exploited by, by the yeah. Republicans on the right to make the entire, all of the Democrats look bad. Look, they all think these are concentration camps. Don't, let's, let's ratchet everything back a little bit, yeah. which is where we started. And she needs to do that, and the Republicans yeah. need to stop using this as a cudgel, you know, when she says something dumb like that.
1: And I think that's the hard part is that politics has gotten to this point where this is what catches air and catches wind. And I know there are many of the Jewish faith. Who supported what she said. I can't say that I come from that same background, but I know I've recoiled every time I've seen it. My grandmother lived in Holland and was arrested by the Gestapo, the Nazis. Mm Um, taken away, and before she was sent on a train to go to one of the concentration camps, she had a high-ranking SS man who saved her and took her out of that. But she was ripped off the streets for no apparent reason aside from she was waving at soldiers. They thought she was doing the victory sign. So when you go from people who are being ripped from their homes, sent to concentration camps and gas chambers simply for being alive and being who they are, and then comparing them to people who have chosen to leave their homes and are looking for something else, and it's a stop on the way and a very hard trip, I just have a hard time hearing that. Well, it's, it's, it's not. Right. I, think, I think
0: what we all, I think, yeah. again, we, I get, we're all losing street cred here, landing on the same common ground, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I think we all know that there are serious issues there that need to be addressed and need to be handled, and we have to resist the extreme characterizations yeah. or attacks
1: that are going on. And this is an issue that's been going on for a long time. I, it's obviously because of, I think, President Trump and the way he's been talking about it, there's more people coming in, but this border issue and people coming into the country seeking asylum or being able to immigrate, it has not been a great system for decades and decades and decades, so hopefully we can find some common ground and figure it out.
0: Because you know, an interesting stat just to, uh, within the courts when you're seeking asylum, uh, I'm, the stat that I heard was 80% are being denied, uh, that's, that's, and, and so when you get away from all the politics and you're going into the judiciary where different... You know, the appointments of these judges are not coming from just one administration. They're not being accepted. 80% are not being accepted. When you see the numbers that are coming in there, I worry that there's just an attempt to overwhelm overwhelm that system. system. And that's not just being handled on a case by case basis there's a there's something else going yeah. on there well, not an
2: easy problem and finding common ground and finding a solution to this gets a lot harder i think when you have the president who's saying he's going to start rounding up millions of undocumented immigrants and sending them back to the countries where they came from i think that's counterproductive and i think that creates fear and this sort of sense of persecution in the community that uh, that isn't isn't helpful
1: yeah the fear is definitely not good i do want to point out though that president obama i believe it was the one who had the highest numbers yeah, they, yeah, of sending people back so he said the record so this isn't new to President Trump, although his rhetoric is much more whether he actually follows through. I don't know. It's a tough topic. They're telling me we're out of time and we have so many more things to talk about. I want to end on a nice note though real quick. Uh, the Utah Jazz have had an interesting week. We're saying goodbye to some nice boys that I like watching on the <laughs> basketball court. I'm sad to see this. Are you excited though? We made a good trade.
2: I think so. I mean, I, I, look, I love Jay Crowder. I thought he was great. Yeah, great a great, a great con- contributor to the team. Um, you know, Kyle Korver, it, both times he played for the Jazz, I all think the ladies was a loved him. contributor, uh, but I'm really excited about this Conley trade. I think it's. A, I think he's really going to help the team, really contribute immediately. Uh, whereas you know you have instead of a draft pick, you got to wait a few years. Yeah. And realistically, we weren't going to get Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard. We're. You know, this was probably about the best the Jazz going to hope for. And I, I'm. I'm optimistic.
1: Can we make it like further in the playoffs in the first round with him, maybe? is there well, hope
2: I mean part of it depends on what happens with Houston and Golden State I think you know those are the those are the teams to beat I think for as long as until they until they're beaten so um, you know
1: spring but ankles all along the like, west coast
0: I think that there's not as much parity in the NBA as you see in other professional yeah. sports uh, I think that's something that when collective bargaining arises they may want to talk about because I do think that when you only have 5 athletes on the court or on the field at one time one pickup, two two players can make such a measurable difference. Look at le, le, what LeBron James can do from team to yeah. team as he goes. Um, so I think that given how impactful these trades are to to the sport of basketball with yeah. that few people yeah. that are on the court, I think it's a great move. And they have to be competitive in a, in a league that if you're not winning, you're losing not just by record but by revenue and viability
2: in yeah. a market. But well, if you hopefully look at love, means what, what happened to Le- LeBron in LA, you know, it, one team, one player does not a teammate. Right? No, I exactly. had a They're really rough to No but silver bullet. But for a team that's there in the playoffs, like the Jazz are, adding that extra little piece might, might be, might be enough to make right. contenders. We'll
1: take those extra pieces. Happy Friday, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back again next week. Thank you, Robert. Robert, thanks for it's playing fun. with Thank us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah have fun. a great week.